Amen. Look in John chapter 14. Let's go back here. You know, I feel like that what John Williamson shared, what Dave Hinton shared, what I've been sharing, all flows together. God is trying to really encourage us to be more than what we have been, to stand up, start being supernatural, seeing the power of God manifest in our life. And so I've been basically majoring on don't let your heart be troubled, which seems like that's unreasonable, it's impossible, and it is impossible if you're only in your own strength. But God wants to call you to a life that is supernatural. He wants you to get you to where you are doing something more than just what a natural human being can do. If you're born again, you have the supernatural power of God in you. So we should not let our heart be troubled. We shouldn't let this world get us down. We need to be believing in God. That's the antidote for letting your heart be troubled. Then I talked about putting things into perspective by verses 2 and 3, how he talked about heaven. And if you put things into the light of eternity, there's just not a lot of things right here in this earth that really are that important. And if we would start making our value system and the things that are important to us eternal things, then it, you wouldn't be as bothered by all of these temporary things that really are insignificant. We also talked about how that they didn't recognize who Jesus was. And Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. He was their answer. Everything that they needed was in Jesus, but they just didn't really fully appreciate. They said, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. They weren't satisfied with Jesus. And sad to say, there's a lot of us that don't realize what we have. That we don't realize how important the Word is and we think that we need something more when the truth is everything you need is in the Word and in the power of the Holy Spirit that has been given unto us. And so we don't need more. We just need to recognize what we have more and use it. God has given us all of the equipment that we need. And anyway, there's a lot in these passages of Scripture. I've got a 16 teaching set entitled The Christian Survival Kit that would go into a lot of detail. I just want to bring out two things this morning. I hadn't got a lot of time, so I'm just going to hit on these things very quickly. And I'm going to talk, first of all, about how important the Holy Spirit is. In these passages, there are four different places where Jesus talks about the Comforter, the Holy Spirit coming. And, and this is a major part of you not letting your heart be troubled. You need to draw on the power of the Holy Spirit. And you know, one of the things that I see is that there was a movement back when I first got really turned on to the Lord and the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues was major. I mean, the full gospel businessmen was drawing crowds of ten and 20,000 people. People were talking about the Holy Spirit and everybody was excited. I mean, you couldn't go anywhere without hearing a message on the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues and the gifts of the Spirit and how to be led by the Spirit. It was the dominant thing in the body of Christ. And there was lots of people. I mean, millions of people worldwide that received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I've actually seen some statistics on this, and I forget what they are now, but I, I actually believe that if you include the entire world, there are probably more people now baptized with the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ than there has ever been in the history of the world. There has been a tremendous emphasis on this in the past. But what I see is that there's people that 20 years ago, 30 years ago, had an experience with the Holy Spirit and were touched. And today, they very seldom ever speak in tongues. They very seldom draw on the Holy Spirit. It's like they've lost their focus on this. And when I go into churches... Uh, I speak in churches, friends of mine, people that are spirit-filled, and I'll give an invitation for the baptism of the Holy Spirit and see hundreds of people come forward. They've been sitting in a spirit-filled church, and yet they never hear a message about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, the power of the Holy Spirit. And the spirit-filled churches, the spirit-filled movement today is not really emphasizing the Holy Spirit. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word, and therefore... A lot of people who even have the Holy Spirit go days or weeks or months without speaking in tongues and really drawing on the power of the Holy Spirit. And I tell you, Jesus here is emphasizing. He put an emphasis on the Holy Spirit that many people today don't have. And if you are going to not let your heart be troubled, and if you are going to do the same works that Jesus did and even greater works, you are going to have to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit. I said this last night, but the, holy, the, the um, Christian life isn't just difficult or hard to live. It's absolutely impossible. 
It is beyond human ability and you must be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and draw on the Holy Spirit. So Jesus emphasizes that a lot in these verses. Let me just jump down in John chapter 14 and in verse 16, Jesus said, I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Man, I could minister on those verses for an hour. I'm not going to take time to do this, but this is powerful. Another comforter of the exact same kind is what this is saying in the Greek. And the ministry of the Holy Spirit is a ministry of comfort. The church today has perverted this, and they say that the Holy Spirit's the one that makes you feel miserable. The Holy Spirit's the one who's convicted you of all of the things that you've done wrong. I'll get to that in the 16th chapter. But that's not true. The Holy Spirit has not been properly understood, and people have ascribed uh, things to the Holy Spirit that have made people not appreciate Him. But, uh, you know, I don't know how to do this properly. Let me just jump over to the 16th chapter. Look at this. It says in verse 7, this is Jesus, same, same night, speaking to the same people. And he said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Jesus is saying it's actually expedient for you. That means it's to your advantage that I leave and send you the Holy Spirit. Jesus is saying that having the Holy Spirit with you and in you is better, it's more advantageous for you than having Jesus in his physical body. You know, that's hard to wrap our brains around. Most of us, man, would love to have Jesus just in his physical body walk with us and talk with us and go home and sit there with us and be with us in a physical form that you could see. And yet Jesus says it's actually to your advantage, it's better for you that, the, that I leave and that the Holy Spirit comes. What we have today is better than if Jesus was here in his physical body walking and talking and ministering among us. And most people just say, I can't see that. I can't believe it. And that's because we haven't fully understood the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't know. We are not really well acquainted with the Holy Spirit and we have mis, uh, we've ascribed things to the Holy Spirit that diminishes His value in our life. But the truth is, man, He's not this mean, harsh, judgmental person that people have credited Him with. You know, man, there's just so much I could say about this. I have trouble knowing what to say and what not to say. I've only got a few minutes. But the Holy Spirit is awesome. And brothers, I can guarantee you, if you aren't constantly filled with the Holy Spirit and thinking about the power of the Holy Spirit and trusting the power of the Holy Spirit to flow through you, you you're, just a, you're just a wreck waiting to happen because you in yourself are not sufficient to be able to deal with the problems that come with you. But when you get filled with the Holy Spirit, greater is He that's in you than he that's in the world. And I tell you, the Holy Spirit is the one that created the heavens and the earth. He moved upon the face of the waters and did all of this. God does everything through the power of His Holy Spirit. Zechariah chapter, I forget what it is, chapter 4 verse something says, that not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord. And this is the way that God intended us to live. He never intended for you to be alone. He says, I will send you another comforter. And he sent the Holy Spirit. And notice he says, he has been with you and he shall be in you. Prior to this time, the Holy Spirit was with the disciples when, when Peter made this bold statement that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto you, but my father through his spirit. The Holy Spirit was with Peter and inspiring him and giving him revelation. And prior to this time, the Holy Spirit was with him, but he wasn't in any of them because they weren't born again. When you get born again, the scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and chapter 6 that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. They weren't the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit could not come and dwell them before they were born again. But when they got born again, then the day of Pentecost came. The Holy Spirit came upon them, and I guarantee you, power was manifest, and even their enemies took note of them and said, these men have been with Jesus. 
Prior to that time, they ran and hid. They were powerless. But after receiving the Holy Spirit, they were bold and stood right in the face of the people who crucified Jesus and said, you're to blame. You're the one who crucified the Lord of glory, fearless. And they took knowledge that they'd been with Jesus. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, when he comes into your life, you become a brand new person. Man, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is what changed my life. This is what has totally changed me. And because we can't see Him, He says the world can't receive the Holy Spirit because they see Him not. And because we can't see Him, sometimes we just credit this as, well, you know, this person is really special, they're anointing. We don't understand how much the Holy Spirit plays in what we do. But I guarantee you the baptism of the Holy Spirit is one of the most important things that any person can receive. If you have not received it, We've already given an invitation. Hopefully every person here has already received this and speak in tongues. But if you don't, you shouldn't go any further without finding the Holy Spirit and receiving the gift of speaking in tongues because I guarantee you it will transform you. Jesus told his disciples after his resurrection, he says, don't go anywhere. Don't tell anybody this great message. The message that Jesus was raised from the dead. He says, don't talk to anybody until you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. One of the problems we've got in the body of Christ today is so many people who are out talking about Jesus and talking about Him being alive and they're saying the right things, but they're doing it in their own strength and it's not anointed and empowered by the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 2, Jesus, the very first time He appeared in Jerusalem after His baptism by John, it says many believed on Him when they saw the works that He did, but Jesus wouldn't commit Himself to them because he knew what was in man, and he didn't want any man testifying of man. That's a little wordy in the King James, but what it means is here were people who believed he was the Christ. It, today, people would have immobilized them, given them tracts, go out and tell somebody. Man, they're warm bodies who are wanting to tell people about the Lord. We would have capitalized on that. Jesus said, I'm not going to commit myself, and he withdrew from them because he wouldn't commit himself to people who weren't filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. He didn't want them representing him in just their own ability. We need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Scripture says in Peter that if any man speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God, as a mouthpiece of God, not just as a person standing up here saying, well, I don't know, maybe this is kind of what I think, uh, and waffling back and forth. Man, the Holy Spirit needs to fill us. And one of the problems in the body of Christ is so many people out representing Him who are not filled with the Holy Spirit and who aren't being led by the Holy Spirit. And it's causing confusion. There's a difference between the Holy Spirit being with you. You can't be born again without the Holy Spirit drawing you unto God and the Holy Spirit being in you. And just when you get born again, you do not have the Holy Spirit filling you and controlling you the way that He does after the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is with you and involved in salvation, but there's a big difference in having Him with you and in you. And then it says in, in verse 26 of this 14th chapter, it says, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, He shall teach you all things and, and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have spoken unto you. Man, what a powerful verse is that. The Holy Spirit will give you revelation. Again, most people depend on their own little peanut brain to know God and to figure out the Word. And that's the reason that a lot of people, that the Word is just closed to them. They, they can't understand it, that these and the thous bother them. And they just can't understand the Word. But God didn't write the Word to your head. He wrote the Word to your heart. You have to receive it by revelation. You can't just figure it out. This is why some people can take the Bible and read it and not get a thing out of it. Because they aren't having the Holy Spirit energize it. The Holy Spirit leads you into all truth and brings all things to your remembrance whatsoever Jesus has spoken unto you. You've got to read the Word with your heart. You've got to get before it. And yes, you use your mind and you read it, but you open up your heart and you welcome the Holy Spirit to give you understanding. And I often will pray in tongues as I'm reading the Bible because the Bible says when you're praying in tongues, it's your spirit praying, the part of you that has the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.16, 1 John chapter 2, verse 20, you have an unction from the Holy One and you know all things. That's not true up here in your brain, but it's true in your born-again spirit. You've got the perfect mind and wisdom of Christ. You know, if you haven't been the sharpest knife in the drawer, if you weren't good in school, 
If you would open up your heart to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will teach you all things and lead you into all truth and bring all things to your remembrance. And you can get supernatural revelation. Man, that is awesome. What difference would it make if you knew all things? Just think about in the natural realm. What if you knew about what was going to happen with the stock market? You know what? The Holy Spirit, it, it, this is another thing. I'm skipping ahead. But in the 16th chapter, in verse 13, it says, Howbeit when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will guide you into all truth. For He shall not speak of Himself, for whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak, and He will show you things to come. One of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is to show you things to come. Why do we just stumble through life as if we can't know what's coming and we just, we just stumble around and fall off a cliff and hit this and hurt ourselves and, and always are reacting to things? It's because we aren't drawing on a ministry that the Holy Spirit is sent to give us. This doesn't happen automatically. You have to pursue it. You know, the Lord spoke to me many, many years ago. I was reading this in John 16, 13, and I said, you know, I, I've had the Lord show me things before, but I don't do it on a consistent basis. And I was praying, and I said, I just want you, Father, to show me things to come. And did you know that that day, the Lord spoke to me about the place where I kept my horses, that the man who let me use his property free, and I had fenced it, he says, that man's going to want you to move your horses. You need to find another place for your horses. And you know, this was totally illogical because this guy was the greeter at our church. And every time I saw this guy, he says, oh, I love having your horses there. I don't have to mow this grass anymore. And they keep the grass down for me. He says, I just love having your horses there. There was not a single reason for me to believe this. But you know what? I just started saying, well, I prayed and I, this is an impression I had. I believe that that's God. So I started praying and asking God to show me another place to put my horses. And I had six horses, and I didn't want to pay $300 or $400 a month room and board. So I was looking for another free place. And a guy came to shoe my horses, and he watched me on, or he listened to me on tele, uh, radio at that time. And he says, you know, if you ever need a place for your horses, I can take all six of your horses at my place. And I said, really? I said, well, you know, it's just coincidental that I am looking for a place for my horses. And so anyway, we set it up, and on Tuesday morning, I was going to move my horses. I went to church on Sunday before that, and the guy who owned the property where I had my horses, the greeter, I went up to him, and normally he was just real friendly and visited with me, and he walked right up to me, and he says, I can't stand it anymore. You've got to have those horses off my property by Tuesday. <laughs> just out of the blue. I didn't even know he didn't like them being there. And I said, Ralph, don't worry, I'm moving them Tuesday morning. And he says, well, good. And you know what? The thing was, it was like, I heard from God. God showed me something to come. And I started seeking God, and that's when God led me to build the house that I'm living in, which at the time was a stretch. But as it turned out, we got like a $120,000 house for $60,000. It was a miracle. Now our tax evaluation is $500,000 or something. It, it was one of the best financial deals I've made. And you know how it all started? By me just saying, Holy Spirit, you said you'd show me things to come. And he started speaking to me about my horses and speaking to me about different things. And you know what? It has. The Holy Spirit will make you look good. The Holy Spirit will make you know, make it look like you know what you're doing because he will show you things to come. And how many of us just go through our life leaning on our own understanding and not expecting God to lead us? Man, this, this about revelation, He will lead you into all truth and bring things to your remembrance. Whatever Jesus has spoken unto you, that's the best note-taking system that there is. Because if it's something that man said that sounds good to you, the Holy Spirit won't bring that back to your remembrance. He'll only bring back to you the good things the things that the Holy Spirit has spoken unto you. In the 15th chapter, in verse 26, it says, But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. The Holy Spirit draws people to Jesus. The Holy Spirit doesn't speak of himself, but he always is glorifying and pointing people towards Jesus. Every one of us need this. If you want to keep your heart from being troubled... 
you need the Holy Spirit. He will just constantly be pointing you towards Jesus. He'll remind you of what Jesus has said about you. He'll keep you encouraged. I tell you, this is just essential. I can't overemphasize the importance of the Holy Spirit. It's absolutely essential. And there's very few people, even very few people who have the baptism of the Holy Spirit that depend upon the Holy Spirit the way that we should. We don't focus on the power of the Holy Spirit. And there's a lot of things involved in this, but one of them is that when you pray in tongues, praying in tongues makes you focus on Jesus. Now, that's not true if the only time you pray in tongues is in a service and because somebody's shouting hallelujah and you feel a little something, you just let out a word or two in tongues to let off some steam. The Bible even talks about that you can pray in tongues carnally. The Corinthians church prayed in tongues a lot and they were carnal. But you know what? If you start praying in tongues, your mind is going to go crazy. Your mind says, this is silly. This is foolish. You don't even know what you're saying. And your mind, if you are dominated by your carnal thoughts and by your natural self, your mind will stop you from praying in tongues. But if you'll pray in tongues for 30 minutes or an hour or two hours or three or four hours, it just is absolutely astounding what that does. Because you will either, if your mind continues to wander and stays on the football game or whatever it is that you've got to do, your mind will take over and you'll quit speaking in tongues. For you to speak in tongues, you have to force yourself to focus on God, to operate in faith, to go beyond your carnal mind and start flowing out of your spirit man. When you start speaking in tongues, if you do it on a, uh, on a prolonged basis, more than just a second or so, it's like you have to flip on this switch on the inside that just starts the flow of God's spirit and supernatural things happen. I could preach on that for an hour or two. But there are people in this room that I'm sure have the baptism of the Holy Spirit and it's probably been weeks or months since you've spoken in tongues. I tell you, brothers, you're missing a major, major deal. You need to speak in tongues. Matter of fact, I was with Oral Roberts less than a year ago and Oral Roberts was talking about how that we should start all of our prayers in tongues because until you start the Holy Spirit flowing and get the Holy Spirit going, you don't know how to pray with your brain correctly. He says you'll be much more effective if you would spend more time praying in tongues before you start speaking in English and communicating your desires. You need to start in the Holy Spirit. Well, this is powerful. In the 16th chapter... I read verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away, but if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. And in verse 8, And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. See, this has been misconstrued that the Holy Spirit's the one who nails you every time you do something wrong. But in the next verse, in verse 9, he tells you which sin, singular sin, he convicts you of. I've sinned because they believe not on me. The only thing the Holy Spirit is going to convict you over is that you aren't trusting Him. He's not going to tell you, oh, you're watching pornography again. Oh, you didn't pray. You did this. You did this. And the Holy Spirit's not going to nail you over all of these individual things. He may mention something you're doing in your life to illustrate to you. I told you that you aren't trusting in Jesus. And you say, oh, yes, I am. And you say, no, you aren't. Look at this. This isn't what Jesus would want you to do. This isn't beneficial to your spiritual life. Anyway, I've got a whole series on this. I've got five teachings on this, and I'm not going to take time to teach on this. But this is one of the most important things that you could ever learn is that the Holy Spirit only convicts you over one thing. And that is that you aren't trusting Jesus the way that you should. He'll constantly be drawing you back to relationship with Jesus, not tearing you down, but building you up. And then, instead of showing you that you're unrighteous, which is the way people read this, when it clearly says He convicts you of righteousness, not unrighteousness, but you'll hear people stand up and say, Oh, the Holy Ghost has been on me all week long, telling me about how I've lived so unrighteously, I've lived in sin. That's not what this says. He convicts you of one sin, that's the sin of not trusting in Jesus, and then He convicts you of righteousness. He tells you you're righteous. God loves you. You are in right standing with God. You are clean. You are forgiven. You can do it. He's not telling you how you can't do it. And then he convicts you of judgment. 
And people say, well, I knew, man, I deserve whatever judgment God's going to give me. This isn't talking about your judgment. It's talking about he'll convict you of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. He will show you that you're the one who's got authority. Satan has been stripped. Satan has been defeated. Man, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is so important, and we just are not responding to the Holy Spirit the way we should. You know, again, I go back to something I said earlier, that there's a lot of people that come to a meeting like this and get built up, and they think, I love it, but I just can't maintain this on my own. Part of it's because of lifestyle, because we put so much junk in us. We listen to so much junk. There's many of you that listen to music that it just tears down your spirit and destroys everything God wants to do. You watch stuff that is not conducive. And yes, that's a part of it, but you know, a lot of it is that we just aren't drawing on the Holy Spirit. We're just living as mere men. And we shouldn't live that way. You ought to live every day with the awareness that the Holy Spirit, you've got the same power on the inside of you that created the universe, that raised Lazarus from the dead, that did all of these miracles. And if you get to where you're conscious of that, you live your life differently. So much of what's important to the average man is trivial. Trivial. Stuff that is not going to last, make any difference. But when the Holy Spirit is there, and if you are listening to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will draw you up to a new level. He will remind you. He'll show you the Lord. He will show you what God wants to do. And you just need the influence of the Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit is influencing you, and if you're in communion with the Holy Spirit, I guarantee you, you will be able to stay in the presence of God. You will be able to keep your mind stayed on God. You'll be able to have joy, and it won't be just like you've experienced this week. It'll increase. It'll go far, far, far beyond this. You know, I've had times in the presence of the Lord that never, ever, ever compare with times that I've had in an assembly like this. And I mean, when, when we get together and the presence of God comes, that's great. And I enjoy it. It's awesome. But it could never compare with what I've had personally with the Lord. This, this is wonderful what God does, but this shouldn't be the highlight of your life. Your personal relationship with God through the Holy Spirit there will be intimacy that you can have with God that you can't have in a group, just like with your wife. And you know what? You can have the Holy Spirit bring you to a place in your relationship with God to where you enjoy it with other people, and it's awesome. And I'm not discrediting this at all, but I'm just saying that, man, it even gets better. The Holy Spirit can reveal Jesus to you and bring you into relationship with Jesus to where you don't have to be up and down like a yo-yo. You can have a consistency in your life. I nearly spent all morning on talking about the Holy Spirit. I could preach on this forever. But let me point out one other thing here in, in chapter 14 and in verse 27, right after I'd already quoted the verse about Him bringing you into all truth and bringing all things to your remembrance. The next verse, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, Give I unto you, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. He repeats the thing that he said in chapter 14, verse 1. He's coming back again and saying, don't let your heart be troubled. And again, he's speaking to his disciples the night before his crucifixion. And then in verse 28, he says, you have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said, I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. Now think about this. Jesus is talking to his disciples the night before his crucifixion. He's already told them seven times, I'm gonna, well, 14 times I'm going to be crucified and dead. Seven times he told them he would be resurrected from the dead. And now he's saying, don't let your heart be troubled when you see me crucified. And then he says that if you loved me, you would rejoice. Now think about this. This is another one of these radical statements that seems like it's just absolutely impossible. He's saying, if you loved me, when you see me crucified, you would rejoice. Totally contrary to what most people would think. No, if I really loved you, I'd just be brokenhearted. He says, if you love me, you would rejoice because I said I'm going to the Father. 
Jesus spent so much time talking about his father and saying, man, I love my father. I only do what I see my father do. Jesus would get up early in the morning and go pray to his father. For these people who knew him, Jesus loved his father. And he says that if you really loved me, you would rejoice in the fact that I'm going to my father. And boy, when I was meditating on this, here's one of the things that the Lord spoke to me. He says, you know why you have grief and why we sorrow over things that we do? The bottom line is it's because of self-love, because we are focused on ourselves so much. If these disciples were more concerned with Jesus and truly putting Jesus first, even if they didn't understand that he was the Christ and that he was going to rise from the dead, even if they didn't understand that, which it's obvious they didn't, if they would have been thinking more about Jesus than they were about themselves, they could have at least said that, man, if there was ever a righteous person, it was Jesus. And if there's ever a person that was going to go into the presence of God, it was Jesus. And Jesus constantly talked about how he loved God and longed for God. And if they would have been pure and only thinking about him, they could have at least said, at least he's out of this world He's in the presence of the Lord, the one who he loves so much. He's going to be now accepted with him. And if they were really focused on Jesus, they would have been able to rejoice at his death because finally he had escaped all of the criticism, the persecution, all of the things that were going on. And he was in the presence of the one that he loved so much. But you know why they had grief? You know why their sorrow was so deep? Because they were so selfish. They were thinking about, my hopes were on Him. That He was going to redeem me. He was going to change all of this. We trusted this. Now I look like a fool. And they were evaluating themselves. They were missing Jesus. They were thinking about, I gave up my family. I gave up my business. I've been following Him. What am I going to do? And let me just make a statement here that a lot of people think this is harsh. I mean it good, but it really does cut against the nature of every single person. That all of your grief is really selfish. It's really selfish if you get right down to the bottom line. You know, my mother just died in um, July or June the 1st, 2009. And she was diagnosed with some things a year or two before that, but she was in pretty good health until the last eight or nine months. And then they put her in hospice and said she wouldn't live through the night. And she just kept hanging on and hanging on and hanging on. And she had 95% of all of her arteries blocked, and she didn't want them to go in and do any surgery. She said, I'm ready to go. So she wouldn't let them do anything. And she just kept hanging on and hanging on. And... I went and saw her, I don't know, four or five times during those eight or nine months. I'd call her a lot. And every time I'd call, my mother would say, Andy, are you praying that I'll die? And I'd say, yes, mother, I'm praying that you'll die. And she'd say, I don't know why it takes me so long to die. Why can't I just die? And I said, the doc you can hardly move. I said, just get up and run across the room. I said, you'll probably die. And she thought, oh, that would be suicide. So she wouldn't do that. But she just kept hanging on and hanging on and hanging on. And you know what? My mother, she's just, boy, she was a blessing. But it got to the point to where I'd pray with her and we'd release her and command her to die. She was wanting to die. She wanted to die. And when I finally got the news that my mother died, did you know what? There wasn't a lick of sorrow. It was like, thank you, Jesus, that she's finally dead. And you know, the month or so before she... That's true. And the month or so before she died, she would see my dad. And, you know, she had these nurses that were staying with her. And she always called my dad Womack. Long story about why that happened. But anyway, that's what she called him. And uh, she never did call him by his first name or any affectionate name. He was the principal and she was a teacher and they couldn't fraternize. And so they had to hide that they were dating. And so she always called him Mr. Womack. And after they got married, she still called him Mr. Womack. And finally, my Uncle Saffy one day got her and said, you're going to have to drop the Mr. if you're married. And so she dropped it and called him Womack. And she called him Womack the whole life. And anyway, 
How would anybody know that? I mean, that is abnormal for a woman to call her husband by his last name, Womack. And she was kind of delirious and sitting there and she saw Womack and started talking to him. And she saw my uh, sister-in-law who's already died in a car wreck and people that we knew, even one person that we didn't know was dead. But he was dead and she saw him, got to talking to him. And she was more on the other side than she was on this side. She asked my sister one time, she says, am I alive or dead? And my sister said, well, you're alive. And she says, well, you know, I died four times today. I've been in heaven four times. And she was more on the other side than she was on this side. And man, because of all of these things, when she died, we were just thrilled. It was like, thank you, Jesus, that my mother died. And see, some people think weird, but that is, I believe, the attitude that Jesus is expressing. If you really loved me, you'd rejoice. You know why it is that really we grieve when people die? Because we miss them. Because we are hurt. If the person is a believer, there is zero reason for you to grieve for them. If you're grieving because somebody has died... That doesn't mean that it's demonic or you're sinful if you're grieving, but just understand that the grieving is for yourself. You're missing them. If they are a believer, and if you were really in love with them more than you were yourself, boy, you would just be thrilled that this person is finally out of this life because the life that we have planned for us is much, much greater. I had an employee whose little daughter drowned in a little pond he made in his backyard. And his one-year-old daughter fell in it and drowned. And he, he was just crushed and bitter, and he didn't want anybody to come. But we went to the funeral home, and there was hundreds of people that came to the funeral home. And I was standing there with him, and people were coming by, and everybody... It was just tragic. And people were saying, oh, she'll never know what it's like to get her first birthday cake, her one-year-old birthday. She'll never know what it's like to ride a tricycle, to go to her first day of school, to fall in love, to have kids... And they were just mentioning all of these things that she was missing. Everybody's just crying. And this guy wasn't going to have a service, but there was hundreds of people that came, and they were just all standing there. And so he says, we need to do something. He says, would you conduct a service? And so, I mean, on the spur of the moment, we had a couple of hundred people there, and I had to have a memorial service for this little girl. And basically, this is what I shared. I said, everybody's talked about she'll never know what it's like and we've just cried over this. And I said, but you know what? This girl, according to the scriptures, what David said, that this girl is in the presence of God and I guarantee you she's not going to miss her first birthday cake. She's not going to miss her first tricycle, her first day of school. Man, she is looking at the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. She's perfect. And I just begin to put things into perspective. And I said, it's not wrong for you to miss her and we're going to miss her. But boy, she's not missing us. I said, she's in the presence of God and someday we'll be reunited. And it ministered a lot of comfort to people. Did you know the truth is that the things we grieve about, you know, the doctor says, I'm going to die. And man, you, you sit there and the reason you're grieving is because you aren't putting things into perspective. You're holding on to this life. And you know, if you get healed a hundred times and if you live to be 120, unless Jesus comes back in your lifetime, you're still going to die. <laughs> it's just a matter of when. And I want to finish my course and I want to do what God called me to do. But you know, if push comes to shove and if the devil beat me and I died, I still go to be with the Lord. And if you were to look at things this way, then it would take away this grief and this terror. Your heart wouldn't be troubled and you'd find out that your little mustard seed amount of faith would work so much better and you would get healed of your sicknesses and disease and you would walk in health. But really, all of the grief in our life comes because we love our lives so dearly because we are so selfish in our way that we look at things. If you get to where you look at other people and love them more than you love yourself, it'll just totally diffuse so much problems in your life. And you know, I've just got five minutes left. This is nearly sin to do this. So I'm just going to quote this to you quickly. But in Proverbs 13.10, this is one of the greatest revelations God gave me. And it says, Only by pride comes contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. Most people say, well, now that's not true. That's not true. I do not have pride. 
I had one man, I ministered on this, and this guy, he was a little Mexican guy, and he walked up to me and he says, look, I admit, I've got lots of problems. He says, but pride isn't one of them. He says, if anything, I've got the lowest self-esteem of any person you've ever seen. I, I am introverted. He says, I just have a thousand problems. I, I am not a prideful person. And he says, I'm vicious. He says, I lose my temper. I beat people. I throw things. He says, I've got a temper, and yet I am not a proud person. If I had an hour, I could really explain this a lot better, but pride is not only thinking you're better than everybody else. Pride, in its simplest terms, is self-centeredness, self-focus. And you can be selfish by thinking I'm better than everybody else, or you can be selfish by thinking I'm worse than everybody else. Did you know that timidness, shyness, is extreme self-centeredness? It's not in your genes. It's not just the way that you have to be. If you are a shy, timid person, it's because you're a selfish person. Self-centered person. Thank you for that thunderous silence. And I know some of you, I've never heard this before. I can say this with conviction because I was such an introvert, I couldn't look at a person in the face and talk to them. And you know, I can tell you why I was that way. It was because I was so concerned about what are people going to think about me? Am I going to say something wrong? Am I going to make a mistake? Am I going to stumble? And it was all selfish. You know, there are many of you that God has done some awesome things in your life. Maybe He's touched you this week. And God has done something. That if you were to stand up and share how God has touched your life and set you free, you could help other people. And yet, if I was to ask you to come up here, you'd just freeze. Why? Because you're so concerned about yourself and you're so insecure about what everybody thinks about you. You are so self-centered that you would actually not be able to testify and tell people about what God has done because you are so focused on yourself. That's what shyness and timidness is. It's not normal. It's not natural. It is extreme selfishness. Amen. I know some of you don't like that, but it's the truth. And this is what set me free. I used to be an introvert, couldn't look at a person in the face. And finally, I had a man come up one time after I preached, and he says, you know, you've got some good things to say. And if you ever loved the people more that you're ministering to more than you loved yourself, you could be a blessing. And it was absolutely true. And after I dug that knife out of my heart, it set me free. Just like Rick was sharing. Man, look what God used him for. Forty-something people born again. And yet he nearly missed that because he was so shy, thinking, I don't, I'm not anybody special. I don't have anything to give. What you got to do is lose yourself and get to where you think more about the other person than you do about yourself. Dave Hinton was talking about witnessing and ministering to people. And there's some of us that, man, it's just hard to go up and talk to a stranger. You know why? Because you're afraid that that stranger may take an offense and criticize you and make you look bad. It's selfishness. If you were more concerned about them, you'd do whatever it took to reach them. You know, there was an instance going up the pass on a night and it was foggy and it was dark. And a guy passed me. I mean, you could barely... I couldn't see as far as from here to the back of this room. And yet this guy uh, went past me at 60 miles an hour. And he only got just a short ways in front of me. And I saw his brake lights come on. And then the car jerked to the side in a way that wasn't normal. I knew something happened. And man, I put on my brakes and skid to a stop. I came to rest right next to him. And he had hit a horse that was in the road. And this horse had caved in the, the driver's side of the windshield and the horse had unloaded everything that was on the inside of him right in this guy's face. He was sitting in a whole pile of horse poop and he was bleeding and stuff and, and it was bad and the horse had got hit and knocked around and the horse was laying in the other lane. I was on the shoulder, he was in one lane and then the other lane that remained, the horse was laying in it. And while I stood there and was trying to assess the situation, a Suburban came around the corner, and this horse was trying to get up, but its rear end wouldn't work, and so it just had its front leg lift kind of like this, and finally, that Suburban hit that leg, 
and came right up that leg and the horse, it just decapitated it. We never did find the neck and the head of that horse. It was gone. And that Suburban went about 10 feet in the air and 20 or 30 feet and it hit and this lady was able to grab control and I went up there and she had knocked a hole in the roof of her deal with her head where her head poked up. And anyway, it was just a tragic situation. This the car was blocking the road. The horse was there. It was a foggy night. It was on a curve. And you know what I did? I ran back down the road, and I, I went about 100 or 200 yards down the road before that curve, and when cars were coming around 60 miles an hour, I started jumping out in front of these cars, and they couldn't see, so I couldn't just stand in the road. I mean, I jumped out in front of the cars and had to time it so that I would jump back so that they wouldn't hit me. And these cars were putting on their brakes and, and swerving. And one guy pulled over to the side of the road and cussed me out and let me have it. What's wrong with you? But you know what? I just couldn't reconcile myself to letting people come around that corner and car after car after car have a wreck. There could have been dozens. Or it took over 30 minutes before the police showed up. And for 30 minutes, I jumped out in front of cars. And, you know, people hated me. They cussed me. They waved at me with one finger. <laughs> they did all of this stuff. But if you love them more than you love yourself, how could you not try and stop somebody from having a wreck and possibly killing themselves? You can say what you want to, but if a person would say, well, man, these people won't understand. These people might misunderstand what I'm doing. They may think that somebody's trying to stop them and they're going to accost me or who knows what goes through people's heads. You know what? You just, you just do what you have to do to try and save people's lives. And I think most of us understand that in a situation like that, but it's the same thing standing up in front of people. And yet many of us are so fearful we couldn't get out what would help a person. Why? Because you're so selfish. And the only thing that makes you angry is not what people do to you, but it's this self-centeredness on the inside, the fact that your life is so important, so much more important than everybody else's life. That's the reason you get offended. You know, if people come up and say something and it just crushes you and, and breaks your heart, it's because you're so alive to yourself. Jesus told us we're supposed to be dead to ourselves. You could take a corpse, and I could spit on the corpse, kick the corpse, ignore the corpse, insult the corpse, and if it's a corpse, it won't respond. You know why you respond so much when people say something about you that people can just tick you off? Because you're so alive to yourself. If you love God and other people more than you love yourself, anger will leave you. You won't even know how to get angry. And again, I wish I had another hour to share all of this. I'm going to quit, but I've got tapes on this too. I've got a teaching, a little booklet entitled Self-Centeredness, The Root of All Grief. And if you've got a temper, you ought to read that. It's not what people do to you. It's not your personality. It's not the fact that you're a type A personality. It's the fact that you are so dominated by yourself. My brother, he had an extreme temper. He nearly killed me a few times. And my brother would do weird things and just fly off the handle and do violent things. And I heard it a dozen times if I heard it once. After his temper left and he calmed down, he'd come back and he says, I'm sorry, I didn't realize what I was doing was hurting you. And then he would start talking about how he felt and why he did what he did. Without him saying it, you know what he's basically saying? He says, I'm sorry, when I was angry, I was only thinking of myself. I didn't think of you. I didn't think of anybody else. Anger is nothing but selfishness, extreme selfishness. And I know that many of you have been taught differently, and so you've justified it, you've embraced it, but that's what it is. Scripture says only by pride comes contention. It's not one of the leading factors. It's not a major factor. It's the only factor. If you were dead to yourself and didn't promote and think about yourself only, you would not get as upset with people as what you do. Now, there is a godly hatred for evil, but that's not selfish. 
You're doing that because, man, you're defending the one that you love, whom they're blasting, and the immorality, and, and you hate the sin because it's destroying people's lives. But it's not self-motivated. I tell you, this is really important. And if you want to not let your heart be troubled, one of the best things you can do is die to yourself, get over loving yourself so much and start loving other people more than you love yourself and you'll find out that, man, your heart won't be troubled. You'll have peace and you'll be able to walk with people and and relationships could work. You know, I didn't make this specific application, but there's a lot of you guys right here that you've just, uh, you use a temper to manipulate and get your way. You're throwing an adult temper tantrum And everybody knows that when you get mad, boy, they better get out of your way and you use it to your advantage and you are an absolutely selfish, self-centered person that is causing lots of problems. That's not the way that Jesus wants you to be. Amen or oh me. So there's there's a lot in this that I didn't get to share. I encourage you to please get those teachings, but... God wants you to be more than what you are. He wants you to be more than just human. He wants the supernatural power of God operating in your life. We need to depend upon the Holy Spirit and quit being so selfish and recognize that you've got giftings and anointing that are God-given, and if you don't get them out, there's going to be people who die without ever receiving what God had for them because you didn't release it. There's a responsibility on our part to rise up and let the Holy Spirit start working through us. Amen. And I believe that this weekend has been a good weekend. I believe God has touched you, and I just encourage you. There's a scripture that says that they receive the Word not uh, as it is in truth, the Word of man, and not the Word of God. I believe that God has spoken through me and John and David and through your brothers here that you've been fellowshipping with. And you need to go home and recognize God has spoken some things to you this week. And you don't need to let them go. Amen? I believe that there's going to be a lot of changed lives and a lot of different results. I believe that when you go home, your wives are going to say, What happened to you? Amen. Good deal. Father, we love you. We thank you, Father, for loving us. And thank you for these great truths. I ask that you help us, Father, to get over being self-centered and loving ourselves more than we love other people. Father, we want to draw on the power of the Holy Spirit and have the Holy Spirit speak to us and encourage us and convince us that we are righteous. Father, we just respond to the ministry of the Holy Spirit and we believe that you are going to bring back to our remembrance whatsoever Jesus has spoken to us this weekend. We agree and we receive that. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Thanks for coming. You are dismissed.